Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Welcome to Sojourn. I know most of you know me, and I got to meet a couple of visitors this morning, but my name is Matt, and I'm lead pastor here, and we're glad that you are with us today. Uh, if you are a visitor, we have connect cards in the lobby, and some people don't like to fill these out, but we promise not to spam you if you do fill it out. If you're online, if you go to our website, uh, sojournpdx.org, we also have a digital version of this as well, it's just so we can get a chance to know you a little bit better. Um, and my encouragement is, even if you're online or in person, that you give us a few weeks as a church. And you might ask, why? Why is that? Well, you are coming at an opportune time because today we're starting our annual vision and value series. Uh, which means over the next several weeks, you're going to get to hear what Sojourn is all about. You're going to get to hear uh, why our values are gospel, family, and mission, and what we mean when we say those. You know, I, I think the, uh, the older I get, the longer I'm in ministry, and just maybe we all mature and realize that terms matter. And words matter, but how we define those terms also matter. And so uh, when we say gospel, when we say family, when we say mission, what do we actually mean by that, And then we'll wrap up this series, uh, I think the first Sunday of February, and we'll kind of look at our, our vision, uh, kind of a fresh and a new. Uh, and our hope is that over the next coming uh, few weeks, what you'll see is that our uh, core values are actually developed, what I call as the New Testament template of the church. Uh, when we look at the church in Acts 2, uh, that's where we grab these values from. Sometimes you wonder about values. Did you just come up with them? Did they just sound good? Did you just go to another church's website and carbon copy? Uh, when I, it's funny, when you think about mission and vision and values, I'm always like, in some ways, the church should all be going after like you know the same great commission. And so uh, if it's too, too unique, you might want to question what it is. I understand we each have kind of our neighborhoods and certain aspects and focus, but in some ways it should be similar. But that we studied the New Testament church, the early church in Acts, and said this is where we get these values from. And so our, this will set the posture for hopefully 2022, as we're our third Sunday in the new year. Uh, and if you think about the stage of life that most of us are in, we're in the stage of life we're making life-altering decisions, even in the midst of, yes, an ongoing pandemic. Thank you, Omicron. Um, there, this thing continues to happen, right? And we just said it a few weeks ago. So we're going to kind of go into 2022, and we kind of want to peek in and see, and here we are yet again. As we look back to look forward, we think about 2021. Some of us made life-altering decisions. Some of you left one job, and you got a new one. Some of you moved into a new place with new people. Some of you started school, or maybe you finished school. Some of you started a master's degree. Some of you started a new relationship, or you took the next step in your current relationship. Congratulations, Ben and Julia. <laughs> And so as we flip the calendar to 2022, this year has the potential to be unlike 2021. In some ways we say, praise God, I hope it's different than all the negative stuff. And in other ways, there's a lot of uncertainty we aren't sure. So for some of you, this, this current year has the potential to be the best year of your life. And I think getting married would, would be one of those highlights for the rest of your life. This year has the potential for new jobs or maybe get a promotion at your current job. This year has the potential to grow in your journey of following the way of Jesus. And we praise God for that. But reality says that 2022 also has the potential to be the worst year of your life. It's possible you lose a job or you can't get the one that you actually want to get. 
There's a chance of a long-term relationship deteriorating. You may lose a loved one or someone close to you. I actually got a text message from somebody this morning who, uh, they're not part of our church, but they, they, they briefly kind of checked out our church about two years ago, and um, I have some contact with them, but uh, the wife's father passed away due to COVID complications in North Carolina. So I can imagine that wasn't on her radar she started this year. And so as we enter this year, there's one, really, a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of hopes and aspirations, and some of us have uh, goals and things that we put down, but there's a lot of unknowns in front of us. I think that's the, the thing that we can guarantee. There's a lot of unknowns. But as we look at God's word, what we'll see is the most important thing is what has already happened. The, knowing who Jesus is and being reminded of what Jesus has done. That is the advantage that we have on the rest of the world. That's the advantage that we have on the rest of society as those in Christ, that we know what Jesus has done and we can be reminded of what he has done and continue to live with that hope. And so we must start this year with an admission. Our city, and this won't shock you guys, it won't surprise you in any way, but our city had very little interest in church before, I'm just going to say the 2020s started, right? So here we are in 2020, 2021, 2022. And while people are seemingly helpless and more broken than ever before, and as I have conversations with people, it's, you know, people know they need community and they miss that aspect and they're trying to use wisdom between vaccines and masks and all of those things and how do I still have community, what I have noticed is it still hasn't stirred this desire to be part of the church anymore. Otherwise, this room would be full and we would be having multiple services and I would be willing to do that. But as I look around and I look at the empty seats and the stacked up chairs, and I look around our community and go, I know these people who walk by and run by this building in the morning that some of those people, we stop them in the street and say, yes, I have this longing and desire for community. But they're not finding it in the church. And so my question is, why is that? Why is it that those of you in the room, and if you're online, and we'll not give you a hard time for whatever reason you're online, or maybe you're in another part of the country, but why is it you're taking this time this morning? Because you could be doing something else. You could be at brunch. There's some great spots on Alberta, and I love to eat. You could be sledding at Mount Hood. You could be sleeping, you could be watching TV or doing something else. But I think often the reason that the people of our city aren't flocking to the church for community is there's often because what the church says and does doesn't line up. Now I'm not saying just soldier, I'm saying kind of the, the church broadly. And that we, that we have the, the truths of scripture, we have the right claims, but we don't always live that out. It's kind of practicing in word and deed, and backing up what it is that we say, and backing up the claims that we have of Scripture. And so my question is, what might happen this year, in 2022, if our community could see the values of sojourn genuinely reflected, and they looked like the values or practices of Jesus? If we, if we lived out those things, you know, we went through, I think it was last year or the year before, it was a really long series, the longest we've ever done, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. And I think about all those things, blessed are, you know, and it names all these things. What if we actually lived that out? Would, would it make a difference in our community? Would the people around us say, that is something that I want, that is something that I desire? What if our church, as a church plant, tapped into the brokenness of our community as a source of eternal hope? To say, I know you're dealing with that now. I deal with that stuff now. I know you're having those challenges and those struggles, but this is the reality for your future. And that's not guaranteed that you won't deal with the crap of life still today, but in eternity, you have a hope and a future that can be with Jesus. What if the gospel was actually good news to those who might listen? 
So our first value and the starting place for everything we do at Sojourn is the gospel. Now when I say the gospel, I'm hopefully going to unpack that for us a little bit. Maybe not completely, um, you know, it's not going to be a, a completely nuanced. But when you think about the gospel, when you think about Jesus came, he always talked about the kingdom. And he came proclaiming the kingdom. And so the gospel of the kingdom is this physical, emotional, and spiritual manifestation of good news for every aspect of society. That is what the kingdom of God is. And that is the kingdom that, that we proclaim here. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear it say is, in Portland as it is in heaven, albeit a poor reflection, but we're living out the values of Jesus, we're practicing the way of Jesus, and we, we're trying to establish it, make it look as much like that as it can here. And that it is good news, whether one recognizes it or not. And so, um, I, I, because I'm a church planner, I have to do updates, and um, sometimes I enjoy those updates, sometimes I don't, but in my end-of-year letter for 2021... I said something to the extent of that, you know, thank you for your support, for your prayer, for your encouragement, and be praying with us because there's still a lot of people in our city who haven't clearly heard the gospel. And so when I think about this gospel message, I think most, it'd be hard to stretch to find someone who haven't heard of Jesus or hasn't heard some aspects of the gospel message, but have they clearly heard the gospel message? And have they been able to connect that dot? So it is good news, whether one recognizes it or not, to those outside and inside the family of faith. So why does the gospel so often not sound like good news? Why does it often sound like anything but good news? Sure, the Greek word for gospel literally means good news, but we must ask ourselves, is the gospel message that we've been entrusted with, that we extend to others really good news? Is it good news for your neighbor? I mean, I know the Sunday school answer is yes, but <laughs> is it good news for your neighbor with what they're dealing with right now? Is it good news for your coworker, whether you're actually sitting next to them or whether you're with them on a chat online because you haven't returned to the office? Is it good news for the barista at the coffee shop? Is it good news for the person who will take our order at lunch this afternoon? And so what is good news? Once again, it's easy to throw out the term gospel and it's gospel-centered and you're gonna, you'll hear me use that language often, but what is good news? I'd say the most important thing we have to share is the good news that the Father, the Father God, through Jesus, is reconciling and restoring all things back to himself. That is the good news, is that we're, we're all lost without a map on how to, how to save ourselves, and that God provides a way through Jesus as he's reconciling all things back to himself. And this news is only good because it's offered to mankind on account of Jesus of his death and his resurrection. It's not good news because of anything else that, that we could think of. It's only good news because of Jesus. And according to Jesus, who is the gospel, he himself proclaimed the good news. He liberated captives. He healed the sick. He freed the oppressed. And he brought the Lord's favor to the least of these. That sounds like good news. I mean, when I look at our city, I'm like, man, there are some captives that need to be liberated. God knows there's sick people who need to be healed. They are definitely oppressed people who need to be freed. But we can't do that in our, of our own strength. We can't. We could see her all day long come up with some really good ideas and ways to love our city, love our community, but it wouldn't make us any different than any other nonprofit in our city. There's got to be a difference. There's got to be a differential factor, and the differential factor is Jesus. And that Jesus can work miracles, and Jesus can re rescue us and reconcile all things back to himself. We were praying this morning for someone that's in this room whose brother is in the hospital right now with COVID. And the prayer was, Jesus, we know that you can work a miracle. We know that in this moment you can work that miracle. And that's still the posture of our heart, something that the doctors can't do. The doctors can only do so much. And so I want us to look this morning at just two verses. doesn't mean our sermon's going to be shorter, but just two verses. 
and Romans chapter 1, where Paul's central theme is the gospel. And so go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and turn to Romans chapter 1, or if you have it on your phone, open the app. Romans 1, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the text. God, we thank you again for this morning, for the opportunity to gather as your people. God, we believe and know that this message is the message of hope, the message of salvation for those around us, for our city, for our world. And so, God, I ask this morning that it would be a fresh reminder to us. God, those of us who are in church week in and week out who've been following you for any length of time, we can kind of get used to this message and think that we know this message and that we don't need to hear it again, that we've graduated beyond it. But, God, I pray that this morning you would show us, every single one of us, every single man, woman, and child, that the gospel is something that we need ongoing. And God, that this message we've been entrusted with, this value that we have here at our church, is that we get to go and share this with those around us, as is their only answer for hope as well. It's by your name and your power. Amen. So the main point of our sermon this morning is that is that within the gospel lies the power of salvation for all people at all times everywhere. That includes you, that includes me. And so let's look at Romans 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we can preach a whole sermon on that. <laughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul says he is not ashamed. Ashamed, another word for ashamed, is offended by the gospel. Um, you think about how is the gospel offensive? Is this an offensive message? I mean, you think about good news. You usually think good news is not offensive. But Tim Keller helps provide four ways that the gospel message is actually offensive. And so this is probably giving us a little insight to why it is that people aren't just flocking to this message on the surface. He says, first, the gospel, by telling us that our salvation is free and undeserved, is really insulting. It tells us that we, and that includes, when I say we, that includes all of us in this room, that we are such spiritual failures. Okay, how many of you like being failures? Everyone? No? Okay. That we're such spiritual failures that the only way, the only way to receive salvation is for it to be a completely a free gift. In other words, you couldn't work hard enough. You could never be good enough. You could never be born to the right family, to the right place. Second way that it's offensive is the gospel is also really insulting by telling us that Jesus died for us. You think, why is that? But it tells us that we are so wicked that internally our sin is that only the death of the Son of God could save us. That there was no other way. Not enough sacrifice in the world. Not enough good living. Nothing else. But that someone actually had to die in our place. I mean, think about it. Is there anything else in your life that that's got to be the result? That someone actually had to die in your place? I mean, isn't that offensive? Like, you're so wicked, you have no hope that this person has to die on your behalf for you to have hope. The third way that it's offensive, he says the gospel, by telling us that trying to be good and spiritual isn't enough, thereby insists that no good person will be saved, but only those who come to God through Jesus. Only through Jesus. Now what this does is it flies in the face of our modern notion that any nice person anywhere can find God in his own way. We hear that sometimes, right? Well, what about the old little granny who's just sweet and offers cookies and, and, and tea when we come in, you know? What about this person? I don't, they've never heard a fly. They've never heard a flea. Well, that's not what the gospel says. 
This message is offensive. It says, no, even the old little lady who gives us cookies and tea and is sweet and nice to us who's never killed a fly, if she hasn't recognized her need for Jesus, then she's still lost and separated from God. And that's got eternal implications. The fourth way that the gospel is offensive. says the gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus suffering and serving, not conquering and destroying, and that following him means to suffer and serve with him. In other words, this offends people who want an easy life. It also offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. I see that a lot in the American church. Right? There's a part of the country, I happen to be part, of, from, part from that part of the country, if you can't tell my accent, where we have this idea of cultural Christianity. Now, one of the refreshing things about moving here, sorry if you're online and you're back in the southeast, is that we don't really have a whole lot of that. A little bit, but not nearly as much. We have this idea of this nominal Christian, and there's still parts of the country, and even the city I was in last week in Florida, it's like, in some ways, it's almost like a, it can become a social club. There's not a whole lot of us to do, and so I'm going to be part of this thing. But they want an easy life. The missions conference where I spoke last week, and the whole idea was a living sacrifice, which says in Romans 12.1. What does that mean as a Christ follower to have your life as a living sacrifice? That's why it's offensive. We aren't called to live comfortable lives. We're called to put ourselves out there. We're called to put our yes on the table and say, God, do with me whatever you want me to do. Take me wherever you want me to take me. Let me give this message to whoever it is you'd have me deliver this message to. And so Paul says the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of, for it is in fact the message coming with the power of God that brings people to salvation. And so where do we see the power of the gospel on display? That's in its ability to completely change minds. Think about your own life. Now, I know some of us maybe became a Christ follower really, really young, so it's hard to remember, but a good percentage of us, it was a little bit older than that. So what was your mind like before you came to Christ? You probably wanted nothing to do with them. Or you probably were like, okay, this is kind of a casual thing. It's in its ability to completely change hearts. Your life orientation. Trust me, if this wasn't for this message, I would have chosen a different career path and done something very, very different than what I'm doing right now. It completely changes our understanding of everything that happens in this life. Even the bad things. Even even what we've lived through the last couple of years, we almost have to look and go, God, what are you doing in this? Because I know that you're still working in this. I mean, I was at this conference and this man was telling about breaking his back and then his wife got diagnosed with cancer and then his son almost died, all within like a year of each other. But then he went back to all these stories of these people who were able to hear the gospel message. He was overseas when all this happened. Who wouldn't have heard it otherwise? And how he said... God broke my back so that these people could hear the gospel message. And so do you posture your life that way? That God allowed me to get this sickness. That God allowed me to go through this turmoil. That God allowed this so that these other people, if we're living for him as a living sacrifice and giving it over to him, could hear this gospel message. And most of all, it's this powerful because it does what no other power on earth can do. It can save us and it can reconcile us to God. Think about it. The God of the universe. right? God, like the only God it can reconcile us and save us to that God. Once again, I think the danger, and this is, I put myself in this category. If you've been in church for a while, and I've been in church for a really long time, you kind of get used to that message. Of course it does that. Like, that's amazing that the power of salvation can reconcile us and make us right with the God of the universe. Think about, um, I came across a story when dynamite was invented, which my microphone sounds like dynamite right now for some reason. I don't really know why it's doing this. But when dynamite was invented in the 18th century, its name was derived from the Greek word for power. 
Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul knew anything about dynamite since it wasn't invented until the 18th century. But I think it's a good image when we think about the power of the gospel. The gospel is God's power to create, to redeem, to heal, and to bring back from the dead. Can any other message do that? Do you know any other message that can bring back from the dead? I don't. And so it's got this power, which is no wonder they use the Greek word for, for power for dynamite. Like it's, you know, it, boom! Like it's going to do this powerful thing that nothing else can do. And the gospel's not about a new strategy. It's not like we're going into 2022 and so there's this new strategy that we're going to do and we think it's going to make, you know, do all these things. It's, it's, a, it's a new way to live. It's about a new life. A new life that we get to have in Jesus. And this good news, you know, if you look at, at the second part of verse 16, so it says, we're not ashamed, we're not offended of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then it's, it says to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. And so the good news is that this message is available to all people. Anyone, everywhere. We still have, I can't remember, Ben, do you know how many unreached people groups we still have in the world? Thousands. Thousands. 4,000-some, I think, last time I looked, right? Still 4,000 unreached people groups. Those who've never heard the name of Jesus, those who've never heard this gospel message that you and I have become so used to and mundane. But what this message tells us is that the gospel message is available for them as well. That that is their hope for salvation as well. And this gospel message includes you and me. Now, tomorrow our nation celebrates what? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr., and I think my eight-year-old said it best yesterday to other at school because they're watching movies and reading books. And even my six-year-old was telling me, like, you know, he's in kindergarten, what he, what he learned about this. And I think my eight-year-old said it best yesterday. We said, you know, Dad, we still have a problem with race in our country because we still have racist people. Now, obviously, sin is still a thing and sin's going to exist this tide of heaven. And so th that is going to exist. But when he said that, you know, I said, I think, I think you're right. And I think, sure, our nation's come a long way since the civil rights movement of the 60s. But I'd say that the 2020s has revealed that we haven't come far enough. And everywhere I look, in our community, in our city, specifically here in Alberta, because if you know the history of racism in our city, this was a hotbed for it. And we're trying to like pivot and now correct all these years later, right? And those are good things because they want to get it right this time. They recognize that previous generations, and maybe some of those people around go, we got it wrong. We want to get it right this time. Right? And so maybe sometimes even over, you know, you overcorrect the car if you're, you're out of alignment and you kind of cross the line. But they want to make sure they get it right, which is a good thing. But it will never be enough in and of itself. I believe, I firmly believe that the church should be leading out in these conversations. But oftentimes we're sitting aside, kind of passively waiting and watching. How's our culture going to respond? How's our city going to respond? How, how are they going to do this? No, we should be leading these conversations. Because do you want to know what the solution to race problem in America is? that my son pointed out still exists? I know the answer. I do. I know the solution. It's the gospel. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Martin Luther King believed as well. And so whenever this holiday rolls around, and um, you know, as, as a kid, honestly, I didn't learn a whole lot about it. And that's not to speak of my, of my upbringing necessarily, but the school didn't talk a lot about it. I remember the church talking a lot about it. And that's not the full purpose of this message, but I think, man, this is something that, that we can lean into. To go, this, this, this individual who we're celebrating, rightfully so, for what he did, he believed this message of the gospel. Let me share that with you. And that this is what will actually make a difference. This is where we'll, we'll make sure we get it right this time, is that we're centered on the gospel. 
I'm not going to read uh, Galatians 2 for us this morning, but if you're familiar with Galatians, Paul confronts Peter over his display of hypocrisy and prejudice of only eating with certain groups and others weren't around. This kind of comes with Jews and Gentiles. And so Peter was like one way with one set of people and then a different set of people would come in the room and he'd act a different way. And so in Galatians 2.14, Paul comes in, he confronts Peter over his decision, and this is what he says. He says, because your conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Which is why Paul here makes the issue of race, of culture, and of favoritism at its core a gospel issue. Which is why it is a gospel issue. John Bryson, he said, it is inconsistent with the gospel for believers to lift up the name of Jesus with one hand and hold on to racial attitudes, thoughts, beliefs, or actions in the other hand. The gospel will dominate a person, and part of the reconstruction of that person will be reorienting our view of everything, including race. And so once again, the danger for you and me, for most of us in this room, is that we think we've graduated beyond the gospel. That we know the gospel, right? Like, I'm a Christian. I said, yes, I prayed this prayer. I accepted Jesus in my life, in my heart, or however I was supposed to phrase it. And if you're like me, you probably did that multiple times over the years. And so you think, I've graduated beyond this. But the gospel, you see, is like a well. It's like a, a well, and the best water is not by widening the circumference of the well, but it's by digging deeper into the well. And so the well continues to go deeper and deeper as we continually need the gospel for all of life. That is the good news, is that we can continue to return to this well and dig deeper and deeper and deeper and it's the source that we need for life. And it's the answer. It really is the answer to all of our problems. And it's the hope for the world that's around us. Now Paul tells us why, verse 17. He says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I think we can get a pretty good grasp on this idea of righteousness when we think about what it means to be right. What does it mean to be right with somebody? You know, we don't have any beef. <laughs> we're all good, okay? Maybe we had beef, but we reconciled. We're okay. Or, or, or you're, you know, you, you are right with your company, okay? Nike and COVID, or, I mean, Nike and Columbia are like, hey, we're firing you if you don't have a COVID vaccine, okay? And so if those people go get it, Nike and Columbia are like, you're right with us now. Or right now, you're not right with us. Or you're right with the government, or you're right with a family member or another person. This is a positional word, meaning to have a good or right standing. In other words, you have no debts or liabilities. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe anything to that person. You don't owe anything to that organization. We are right. And as a result, if you have a right standing, then what? You are accepted by the party because they have nothing recorded against you. And Paul is showing us the life of faith is all-encompassing. This is what this righteousness that he's talking about here that's pointing back to the gospel. Because before you had the gospel, before you accepted the gospel, you weren't right before God. And if you're tuning in this morning or in the room and you haven't fully embraced this message of Jesus and the gospel, then you're still not right before God. God's made a way that you can be right before him, but until you've postured yourself that way, you're not made, you have not been made right. And so it's by faith that one initially receives the gift of salvation, but it's also by faith that one lives each day. Think about it this way. We do not become righteous by faith and then maintain it through our own goodness. So it's not like at that moment of salvation, it's like, hey, you've been made right. Now the rest of your life's up to you though. Okay? Don't go screw it up again. Don't go make a mess of your life. But oftentimes we posture it that way. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear people say a phrase like, well, I just want to become a better person. Or I just want to pay God back. Newsflash, you can't pay God back. 
okay? It's going to take you a long, long time. You're going to realize you're going to fail. You're still going to end up doing it like this. I just want to be a better person. Well, apart from yourself, you can't be a better person. This, this is how you become a better person. You embrace the gospel, and then you're made righteous because of Jesus. And so it's important for us to realize how much more is promised here than just mere forgiveness. Many of us think that Jesus died merely to forgive sins and to forgive us. And if I'd asked this morning, I wouldn't be surprised if that would probably be the general poll. Like, yes, our sins were laid on him, and as a result, we are pardoned by believing in him. This is true, but it's only half of the Christian salvation. Because if that's all Jesus did, then he'd be handing us a clean slate. Saying, you know, let's just say this is a whiteboard, and we had to mark all the sin, you know? That'd be a good analogy, right? I'm not an artist, but also it'd be black. And we'd say, well, there's not enough space on this board to fill in all of your sin. And then we get this eraser thing, and we'd erase it and say, here's what Jesus did. Now he handed it back to you. But it's up to you to continue to add credit to your account. So when you do something bad, you're just going to get another mark. And then you've got to figure out, how do I do something? Maybe I'll read the Bible a little bit extra this morning. Or maybe I'll pray for an extra 10 minutes. And maybe part of that will be wiped away. That's not the message. That's not how it works. But Paul tells us that rather than merely being declared not guilty, we have also been given this righteousness. It's been handed to us. This is ours in Christ. And so stop trying harder in 2022. Stop it. And accept the righteousness that you've been given by faith in Jesus and his way. It's been given to us. It's been freely given. Yes, it's offensive because we couldn't do anything to erase those marks in our lives. But Jesus did it all for us. John Stott said it like this. He says, like receiving a pardon and a release from death row in prison. So imagine you're on death row. Hopefully none of you ever get there. But imagine, you've seen enough movies. You're on death row, and you receive a pardon. Then you'd be free, but on our own, left to make our own way in the world, thrown back on our own efforts if we're to make anything of ourselves. But in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row, and then he has hung around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor. Have you ever seen one got death row, and that's what they did? But this is what the, the, the equivalent, this analogy says, we are received and welcomed as heroes as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. That is a picture of the gospel. And this is why a soldier, we don't just start with the gospel, but we continue with the gospel as we live out our, its implications in our life, in our community, in our city, and for our church. This is why the gospel is our first value. This is why the gospel is central in our mission, in our, our message and our mission. You might wonder, why don't we call our midweek group small group? It'd be a lot easier to explain to people what a small group is. Because we, the gospel is core in everything that we do. And so we say, let's call this gospel community. Because the gospel infuses what we do as a small group. The gospel is where the power is. That's what it tells us here in this verse. It says, it is the power of God for salvation. Most of us love superhero movies. And we'd love to have some of those superpowers. I'd love to fly. I think that'd be the coolest thing. If I could just, whoop, you know, and get somewhere. Or some of you might be something else. You know, you're super strong. But the reality is we have a power. We have a power in God for salvation that trumps any superpower that we could have had. And so the gospel will characterize our messages. This is why we still believe in preaching of the word. This is why we believe that, that everything comes back to Jesus because we believe there is power in this that we need it, that you need it, that I need it. And it will always characterize our mission. And so nothing should get in the way of this message. Not politics, not good agendas, not our preferences or desires. And so people, might, people have asked me sometimes, even in the midst of the last couple of years, how am I able to continue on? Even in life. It hasn't been hard. You've got to make leadership decisions. You've got to do this and this. How are you able to continue on? 
My answer is because I have the power of the gospel and the righteousness of Christ. That's why I'm able to continue on. People ask me why I'm not afraid of death, even if COVID kills me. Because I'm confident I'm going to heaven because I have the righteousness of Christ. That's why. People ask me why I'm not discouraged over my struggles. And God knows I have them. We all do. Because I have in me the resurrection power of Christ. And one day I'm going to see him and he tells me I'm going to be like him. And he'll look at me faultless with that clean slate that's remained clean, not because I live perfectly, but because of his righteousness that is now within me. And so our desire sojourn is to be a group of ordinary people that fall in love with Jesus who are radically giving of our lives away for the sake of others. And how do we do this? I won't test you this morning, but how do we do this? We do this by inviting the city of Portland on a journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. Why do we do that? Why do we do that as a church? Because on that journey where the power of salvation through the gospel is found. That's why. Church, it's a matter of life and death. That's why. If we really believe the full gospel, if we really believe the full Bible, and we do, then it's a matter of life and death. So this isn't child's play. <laughs> this isn't just, well, okay, you do you, I do me, whatever works for you. No, that's, that's contrary to our message. The rest of our city can proclaim that message, we cannot proclaim that message. So we do this and we love you and we serve you and the ways that we do these things is because it's a matter of life and death. And we know where you can find power. We know where you can find life. We know where you can find hope. And we know where you can find righteousness. And it's in the message of salvation, of this gospel that Jesus has given us. And the gospel continues to radically transform every part of our hearts, our lives and our ministries. It doesn't stop at the moments of one's salvation. And so the most important thing that we can believe in 2022 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it change us, let us move us, let us drive us in every single thing we do. My prayer, week in and week out, Sundays, Wednesdays, tables, is that we reflect Jesus more. And so even this morning, when we leave this place, when we go out of these doors, that we'll reflect Jesus more than when we came in this morning, believing that God had a word for us in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. And so everything we do is centered around the good news of Jesus, the way we serve, the way that the songs that we sing that Ben leads us in, the fellowship that we have with one another, our prayers, our outreach, everything we do is centered around this core message. And so we believe that this year can be a hope-filled year regardless of the life circumstances because the gospel continues to change everything. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the stories that will come out of this year because we see how God uses it. I'm excited about what we'll hear in our gathering. I'm excited, Lord, we'll have a, more baptisms that we'll have discipleship groups and that we'll see lives change and more people join that journey of learning what it means to follow him. And so, Sojourn, let's structure our life this year around our value, the gospel. Now, as we ready to wrap up, practically, what does this mean for our church? What, what does this look like? Well, we're convinced that good deeds and good news cannot and should not be separated from an, or, an orthodox understanding of the gospel. We believe that ministering and serving are the natural expressions of our everyday living out the gospel. It's good to have the knowledge of the gospel. It's good to be able to regurgitate the, the good news of what we talk about. But also it involves personal involvement, transformational service, opening our mouths and sharing with those around us who God has put into our sphere of influence. We see our gospel presence as vital to the health and well-being of our neighborhoods of Portland. This is the message 
that Alberta Main Street needs. This is the message that Concordia needs. This is the message that Beaumont Wilshire needs. This is the message that Coley needs and Kenton and Tigard and Sherwood and Beaverton and all of it in Vancouver. We'll even include Washingtonians in this. That we all need the message of the gospel and that we seek to serve and to bless our city. And here's the thing. We don't do it alone. We do it by the power of the gospel. And we also get to do it with other churches in our city, which is one reason we actively seek to participate and to pray for those churches as well, because the reality is we're all one church under the banner of Jesus. And that we anticipate a positive reaction as we seek to live into the kingdom through word and deed. And we desire to be evangelistically potent. That this message would be something that others desire, that others embrace, and that others see that they have a need for. And so what would our community look like at the end of this year if King Jesus gets his way? And if we live out this value of the gospel. What this means for you. You know, we like to individualize things sometimes. So what does this mean for you in 2022? That the gospel grows deeper in you and wider through you as Paul prays for the Colossians. And that's my prayer for you. That your character would be grown through prayer and through fasting and Bible intake. That we'll have to go deeper into community through tables and gospel community. That we'll go deeper on the mission locally and then also globally. And that we'll grow in our generosity. The way we use our time, the way we use our talent, the way we, we spend our, our treasure. The second thing is that the gospel will go wider through you in the world. We see Paul, if you know much about his life, he's eager to share this message. He recognizes his power. He recognizes this for all people, Jews and Greeks alike. He recognizes the righteousness, but you see this eagerness in him. He's eager to go and share this good news. To say, I've got the answer to this problem. Right? I know I've used this analogy before, but unfortunately COVID's still a thing. If we somehow discovered the cure for it, we would be the most evil people in the world if we just hoarded it to ourselves. Like, ooh, shh, hey, we're all good. Our families are all good, right? But sometimes we do that with our good news. Like, we know the answer these people need for life. It may or may not cure them of COVID, but it'll definitely impact their eternity and what life looks like after COVID, regardless if it takes their life or something else does. And so are we eager? And so my challenge is to start by praying for them. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Just who's that one person in your life that you're praying for? I think sometimes we get bombarded because we think, well, I've got this person, this person. You know, there's 10,000 people in my neighborhood. Who do I pray for? Just start with one. We'll start there. Pick one. Pray for them faithfully. Invite them over to your house. You know, if you're, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm nervous because good. Invite them to your front yard. It's sunny outside today. Maybe today's a perfect day. Have coffee. Have tea. Invite them to your dinner table. Invite them to a gathering at Sojourn. Invite them to a gospel community as you build a genuine relationship with them out of love. And so church, the gospel will always cause an offense because it reveals us as having a need that we cannot meet. And so we will always be tempted to be ashamed of it. But what we need to remember is the power of God. God's righteousness is the way that we receive his righteousness. It is this reverse of our attitude to the gospel of being ashamed, of being eager to share. So let me pray for us, and then I'll give us instructions how we'll respond to this message this morning. Father God, we come to you. We give 2022 to you. God, we give this value of gospel over to you that we desperately want to live out. God, I pray that it impacts us in a way that maybe it never has before. That we remember our role and our purpose. God, that you made this a way of salvation for all people. It's not too late for our neighbors. It's not too late for our coworkers. It's not too late for our family members, our friends. It's not too late for our city, God that there's power in this message and that we'd be reminded of that power and that we go in strength and through your spirit with that power as we leave this place today, being reminded that you've given us a role 
and inviting these people in this journey of learning what it means to follow you. God, I pray that you would bring at least one person to our heart and mind, that we'd faithfully pray for that person, seek out that person, and God, that we would be bold and open up our mouths with the power that we talked about today and share that message. God, we give this over to you in your name. Amen. And so as we respond this morning, uh, we like to put into practice our commitment to the gospel by responding to God's word. And so one way that we always respond is worship. So here in a moment, Ben will come back up and he'll lead us in worship through song. But, you know, when we think about worship in the church, that's most often what we think of. Like, what is worship like? Well, we sing songs. What kind of songs do you sing? Do you sing this band songs or not? But there's other ways to worship. We worship through our time, worship through our talent, through our treasure. So part of that is we have our, our uh, offering box in the back that we practice generosity. Now, some of us do that online, and that's a, probably a more COVID-safe way, but <laughs> however it is, you prefer to do it. But that's one, one way we posture it. And then communion. We like to do this regularly. We don't do it weekly at the moment, but communion, as we're reminded, what is it God did for us? What this gospel message means. So if you didn't get a, a communion cup, we have them up here. We can pass them around if you let us know. But this is a reminder, this, this little wafer on the top here, that when we take this, that it was God sending his son Jesus, and that Jesus' body was broken for us. This message that we talked about in the gospel, that, that apart from this recognition, there is a power in it, that it didn't, it didn't happen, but it did happen. And so that Jesus went to the cross. His body was broken for you, and for me, and for the sins of our world. And then we take the juice, and it's being reminded of his blood that was shed for us, his blood that was spilled out, the sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice for the wrath of God. And so this is how we remember, yet again, what he did. And so as Ben comes up and gets ready to lead us out, take, take a moment to reflect. Take some time to reflect. I always want to encourage you. I don't feel like you have to rush through it and just rip it off, and it can't take you a minute just to get the little film thing off of it, but don't just rush through it that way. Take the time to reflect. What, is, what does this actually mean? And then when you're ready, at your own pace, take the bread, be reminded of his body. Take the juice, be reminded of his blood. And then I'm sure Ben will invite us to join in song. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.